Hi, I'm Ben from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, which is done by myself, my sister, and my father, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die. The categories are horror, drama, comedy, action, sci-fi and fantasy, animation, and musical. Also on occasion, we'll have a special episode dedicated to conversations with creators, directors, actors involved in the production of movies. Join us and see what movie we pick next. Welcome everyone to the first episode of the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die. I'm Stephen Turk, and today's movie is Inherit the Wind from 1960. I'm joined today by my usual co-hosts, Michaela Turk and Benjamin Turk. Plus, we also have a special guest host, Joshua Kennedy. Hello, hello. Josh. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, anything going on with you right now? Um, I'm really looking forward to discussing this film. Uh, just watched it, rewatched it for the first time in a few years yesterday, so I'm, I'm fresh and, and ready to go. I'm a big fan of this film, and... Uh, should be, should be an interesting discussion. Looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too. Anything going on with you recently, Michaela, you want to talk about? I just did my 966th passport application at the library. Woo! I have almost reached 1,000. When I reach 1,000, Hannah's going to make me a cake. Ooh, you sure woo! do sound like a passport agent. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> You're one, too. How many have you done? Probably like 12. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so he's 950 <laughs> behind you? Yeah. 954. How many did you say you did? You said you did 962? No, 966. Oh, 66. Okay. Ben, what's going on with you? Anything? Um, I just passed my circulation test at work, which means that now I can work at the circulation desk. So that's <gasps> great. It only took me three tries. Yeah. I did it in one go. It's not a competition. I know. It's a test. <laughs> and that's right. You can tell they're brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing going on special with me, except that I'll soon be going to the Annapolis Film Festival, um, where they have um, 70 different films, shorts, feature link, documentaries, fiction. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going with my lovely wife, Karen. So I'll be doing nice. that soon. Very nice. Yes. All right. So Ben, for those that don't know, um, prior to this podcast, because we roll, we decide everything by the roll of a die. We roll two dice. One die roll decides who picks the movie, and the second one decides the genre of the movie, which we'll go over at the end of the podcast about the eight different things we can roll. We roll for it to see what the next movie is going to be. Ben, you won the the pick, and it was drama. Why, you picked Inherit the Wind. Why did you pick Inherit the Wind? Well, I really like Spencer Tracy and Frederick March. Also, it was a drama that wasn't overly boring and didn't have as many pacing issues as a lot of other dramas that I've seen. So I kind of figured Inherit the Wind would be a safe bet because I wouldn't get bored while I was watching it. Okay. And Ben, um, for those that have never seen Inherit the Wind... Uh, give us a brief summary. So Inherit the Wind takes place during the 1920s, and a school teacher named Bertram Cates, played by Dick York, taught his students the theory of evolution, which at the time was against the law in his area. 
Once some adults discovered Mr. Cates was teaching the theory of evolution, they got the sheriff and had him charged with violating the Butler Act. In the, the ensuing trial, heavily covered by the press, two of the nation's best lawyers, Harry, Henry Drummond, played by Spencer Tracy, to defend Mr. Cates, and the other Matthew Brady to prosecute him, came to the town of Hillsborough, and the ensuing drama takes place. Okay, that's a pretty good summary there. And um, as Ben said, there's a lot of different actors that are in it, but, but just before we talk about some of the actors, what we're going to do is each one of us is going to feature a different actor or two that they wanted to talk about from what they saw in the film and maybe from their other body of work. Uh, but before we do that, <coughs> excuse me, Stanley Kramer was the director of this film and did an excellent job, which I'll talk about later on. But other films are, that people might be familiar with from Spencer, from, Spencer, from Stanley Kramer, um, The Defined Ones, On the Beach, and Judgment at Nuremberg, and one of my all-time favorites, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. <laughs> so you, you talk about these, a lot of his dramas at that time were featuring a very controversial topics. And um, he did excellent work with them. And, of course, the comedy is one of those comedies that have lasted for over 50 years. So I think he's one of the directors a lot of us don't hear about or think about when we talk about our great directors in filmmaking. Um, does anybody else want to say anything about Stanley Kramer? What year um, is On the Beach? On the Beach is the year before this one. So it's 1959 starring Gregory wow. Peck. Wow. Because that, that one's very... Timely. I mean, it's still very timely, but timely for like the whole Cold War thing. I mean, so he did On the Beach and then Inherit the Wind? Correct. He did yeah. On the Beach and then Inherit the Wind. And Donna Anderson start, was one of the female stars in both of them. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting that he, 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 I forgot he did It's a Mad, Mad, Mad book because that is such a complete different feel from <laughs> Inherit the Wind. But, I mean, it does have Spence. They both have Spence Tracy. So, um, yeah. Very, very underrated director. I think you're, you're spot on on that. And that's, that's one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is bring movies back to the public mind that people haven't seen or haven't or haven't recalled in a long time if they have seen it. And also to bring some of the works of people that they might not be familiar with. <clears throat> All right. Um the lead actor for this one, or one of the two leads, I should say, Spencer Tracy, he has um, top billing, or I should say at least equal build, billing with Frederick Marsh. And um, Spencer Tracy, if I remember correctly, is tied with Laurence Olivier with the, no, the most nominations for Best Actor in the Oscars with nine, winning wow. two of them. So, I mean, right there you can tell he's done a lot of great work over his lifetime. And... Besides Inherit the Wind, he was, as you, as you said, um, in a, it's a mad, 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 mad world. But he was also in Judgment at Nuremberg and also Captain Courageous and a lot of things over multiple decades, and including comedies. Um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was his last film, um, yeah. Woman of the Year. So there's tons of work that Spencer Tracy has done. And really, I don't think he's done a bad job in any of his roles that I've seen yet. I mean, there might be something out there where it's not as good as other work, but he's always does quality work each and every time. I agree. And either of you two, Benjamin or Mikhail, have anything to say? 
No. He plays a cranky old dude really well. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he has to, to, to push far his acting chops with that. I mean he's he has one of the most interesting faces, especially when he he gets older. I mean guess who's coming to dinner comes to mind. Um, but he, like it's such a the wrinkles on his face are so prominent. He's, he's just very interesting to look at. And, I mean, he gets to, to play, you know, the cranky old man of this, too. So, uh, it's a per- perfect casting. Um, but personally, I try not to look at Spencer Tracy as being the cranky old man in this movie because he's that the film in this movie, he was nine years older than I am now. So <laughs> Definitely <laughs> old. Well, there you go. So, it's all a matter of perspective. I mean, I'm... I'm 50. Everybody else on this podcast is under 25. I think, Josh, you're the second oldest. <laughs> oh, right. That's a first. <laughs> so, so you're in the old man bracket. Yes, finally. <laughs> well, you do have a Lifetime Achievement Award, so I guess you are getting up there in years. I am getting up there, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Ben, I think you have somebody you want to talk about. I wanted to talk about Frederick March. I wanted to specifically talk about two of the movies that he was in, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1963 and 1931. He's also one of the only two actors, along with Helen Hayes, to ever win two Academy Awards and two Tony Awards. Oh, snap. My man. I didn't know about the Tony Awards. Um, I do know that, interestingly enough, Spencer Tracy also played Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the 1941 version. That's true. That's very true. But not as that movie's not as critically held... Um, it's claimed. It's claimed as the 1931 version. Yes. Anybody else want to say anything about Frederick March? Um, I don't think I'd see you. Because I know. I, I mean, this is a personal note. I don't even think I've seen the Frederick March version. Now that I think, no, I have. Never mind. I take it back. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has, he has that that the, the he almost looks like a monkey in that. <laughs> nice connection to the one. Uh, uh, You can say it's the evolution? Yes, yes. He gets very, he has like, yes, I have seen it. Yeah. He he definitely deserved the Oscar. I mean, it was an excellent role. And one time, I can't wait till we talk about that movie because there's a lot of other um, actors and actresses I'd want to bring up. But that's that's a great movie. Yes. And you brought up Best Years of Our Lives. He's tremendous in that. And, uh, not one of my favorite movies, but um, William Wyler directed it, I believe. And uh, but yeah, Frederick March is that, that whole movie. I think he's and he gets to play. I mean, it's almost like he gets to. Do we know what he won the Tony for? He won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play for Years Ago in 1947 and Long Day's Journey into Night in 1956. Interesting. So he was still very active on the stage by the time. I mean, around the time of Inherit the Wind. Because I would yep. say, I mean, well, we can get into it later, but um, it's almost, he's almost, I mean, this, this 
this movie is based on a play, if I'm correct, and, and it it's plays very much like a play. And some of, some of the acting is, is kind of heightened to, to tap into that theatricality and just, you know, uh, cements my point that he won the Tony Award. So, yeah. Frederick March is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a great job. And, I, and yes, you are you are correct. Inherit the Wind was a play. Um, yes. I think it came out in 1955, based okay. based loosely on the Scopes Monkey Trials, and um, they, of course they didn't want to make it historically accurate because they wanted to talk about different themes, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before yes. we do that, there's two actors that you wanted to bring up, Josh. Yes, um, Gene Kelly and. Florence Eldridge. Um, I just wanted to bring up Gene Kelly because everyone, at least the reviews that I have read, uh, they try to, they, they put him down or they, they talk that he feels out of place and I just want to come to his aid and say, I disagree with that. I think the, the character and his, the character he plays, I mean, I've seen, they, there's the, the two other versions that I've seen, the one with Jack Lemmon and George C. Scott, and then the Jason Robards and Kirk Douglas one. The, the character of the newspaper reporter, and I'm blanking on his name, and I should have written it down, but um, you know who I'm talking about, the Gene Kelly character. Um, it's not a Hornbeck. Very, Hornbeck, thank you, thank you, Hornbeck. Um, it's not a very easy role. There's not, I mean, there's, there's much to him, but he's basically there to be the guy who asks the questions or gives us exposition. It's like, welcome to... Hillsboro, you know, the, the hell on earth. The, 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 this is what's happening, and he's basically exposition giver through a very cynical newspaper man. But I think Gene Kelly. I mean, and you guys, you're welcome to, to disagree with this. I think he just the fact that he's Gene. I can I can kind of see where people feel like he's out of place because he's Gene Kelly. I mean, he's Gene Kelly playing, you know. Of the supporting role, but I think that works for him in that he can be cynical and and he, the character puts himself above what's going on anyway. And and, um, and I even think when Spencer Tracy, you know, cuts him down at the end and tells him you're all alone in the world, he has a very beautiful moment where he's almost like he's he's fighting back tears uh, in the one shot. He's blinking constantly. I think it's it's, it's well done, and I. I I can understand that people is like, why is Gene Kelly in this? But I think he does an admirable job and should be, you know, reevaluated or appreciated. And every time I watch this film, I've seen it, I mean, half a dozen times in my, my short life. Uh, uh, every every time I watch it, a different scene sticks out in my mind. I mean, I can remember it's, it's always a different monologue or it's for a long time. My favorite part was obviously Spencer Tracy's big thing about we're going to be moving backwards into time and you take this out, who says we can ban newspapers about that, that big speech about progress. But um, this time, when I watched it yesterday, Florence Eldridge as Mrs. Brady, she has her nice little scene and every time I watched it, I was like, ah, it, it, she has a great scene, but for some reason it really stuck with me. And I mean, what she talks about, about men and women and people who stand for ideals and the, the burdens that they have to put onto their shoulders from the public and how, how quickly the public can turn against them when, uh, when like they say one thing wrong and the public turns against them and hates them now after they've spent a the whole life worshiping them. I thought it was, it's 
very relevant to today, and <coughs> I, I, she just really captured my my eyes yesterday. So and 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 then no one. I mean, she's like you think inherit the win. I think inherit the win. I think Spencer Tracy and, and Frederick March, but I think she she deserves a bit more credit because she really steals that scene, the last half of the movie, basically. Um, anyway, well, I agree with you. But speaking of Gene Kelly, I think probably a lot of the critics at that time knew Gene Kelly mostly mostly for his musicals. Yeah, and I think and I think that, that that's what people still equated with. And I guess seeing him, it's kind of like seeing when John Travolta tries to, to do something dark and like he's a gangster. It's like, well, what are you what are you doing? And I can understand that, but like, you you have to, I think, separate as best you can the, the tap dancing, singing in the rain guy. Tap dancing, tap dancing with roller skates, and it's like no, he's 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 doing his. But I guess he, he's such a, a prominent figure in musicals. It's difficult for some people, but he, I think he does a great job. Well, I agree with you. And also, one of the things that you, I, don't, I don't think you mentioned is I think he provides a lot of the comic relief in oh, the movie yeah. with his biting yeah. one-liners, which are yeah. just so perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the one yeah you're you're right he is the comedic relief and but the, I, like I said that that last scene with him where he's just he's blinking away tears basically I thought that was very well done um, I'm trying I'm looking up uh, oh Francis Florence sorry Florence Eldridge I'm looking on her IMDb she was Pantene in Les Misérables in Les, I don't know I'd never get Les Miserables she was Pantene. In 1935, so wow, good for her. But it seems like *Inherit the Wind*, one of her last roles. And I think it was her last film role. And also, one of the reasons she might have taken the film, I don't know, is because she was married to Frederick March, and they've been oh, they were married no for over 40 years. Oh, yep. Got him. Well, then there you go. They got married, no and they were married throughout the movie. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> they were married until 1975 when Frederick March died. Wow. Um, okay. Well, there you go. But to, to highlight Florence at the very end of the movie, um, and, and we're going to spoil the movie if we talk about things. The movie came in 1960, so if you're listening, anything you going? Have seen it already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I, I feel no sympathy for anybody for spoiling something at this point. But just before her um, husband Matthew Brady drops over, you can see when he's doing his end little speech, and nobody's listening to him. You look at her eyes, yes, and you can just see the emotion that she's putting, and it, and which I'm sure you being a director and an actor, and I know Ben being an actor, um, it's it's got to be so tough to do because they're just basically, you know, they're just putting the camera right on her, asking her to show that emotion. You don't know if it's how far apart from that scene it was that she's trying yeah. to do it with, but it, it it is just so emotional. So yeah, she is the emotional part of that. Uh, that's well, that, makes it, that makes it even even cooler that she was actually married to him. That's oh, that's that's so cool. Also, they were both in Long Day's Journey and Tonight, and she won the Academy or the Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in that play. Wow. Okay. Oh, that that oh that warms my heart. That's so cool. And now Michaela, who's been nodding her head at various things that we've been saying, is going to talk about why you nodding your head at. Not shaking my head. Oh, no, shaking your head. My okay, head. I'm sorry. She was shaking her head. She wasn't agreeing with anything a lot of people were saying. Um, but she wants to talk about 
any actors that you want to talk about? Well, I guess I'll talk about Henry Morgan. He's the only one I really knew in the whole movie. His Harry name's, Morgan? His name's Harry. Oh, I but, read it wrong. But you know, the funny thing is, this is this is really funny. What's funny? Harry Morgan is quoted that when he finally got the, 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 one of his later roles, which I'm sure you talked about, that people will finally stop, stop calling him Henry Morgan and calling him Harry. And it, 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 here you call him Henry Morgan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know. It's fits. It actually is in his bio. <laughs> That's great. Who? He's the only one I really knew. I mean, like, now I realize that Gene Kelly was in it. Didn't really remember that he was in it when I was watching it last night. <laughs> you mean um, you didn't recognize him? No, he looked familiar. Didn't remember why he was familiar. Now I remember why he was familiar. But I like Harry Morgan. He's in Dragnet. I love Dragnet. It's a great TV show. And he's in MASH, which is also good. But he's also in some of my favorite Disney movies, like The Apple which Dumpling one? Gang. And The Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again. And The Cat from Outer Space. All good movies. Yeah. I have... What? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I didn't even realize he was in The Cat from Outer Space. He is. I don't remember what he plays. Well, Harry Morgan was one of those guys that was in so. It was a great character actor that was in so many different movies. That I mean, I'm, I'm not looking up his Wikipedia, looking at his credit list, but I'm sure it's it's rather lengthy with a lot of films he was in or TV shows. He was General Stilton in The Cat from Outer Space. Ah, okay. Huh. And but. Uh bounce off that. I mean, this whole movie is, is filled with a bunch of little character actors. I mean, the, the mayor, um, he's, he comes out, he's one of the main characters in William Castle's The Tingler. He's the, the husband of the, the deaf-mute woman. I, I don't have his name up. How unprofessional of me. But oh, Philip, Philip Coleridge? There you go. And uh, instantly recognized. I mean, super recognizable and um, Steve, I think you're going to talk about uh, the, the pastor. Um, oh, Claude Aikens? Claude Aikens, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going <coughs> to... Excuse me. Yeah, I'm, they're, like, like Ben even mentioned earlier, like Dick York plays yes. um, Bates, who's, who basically is what this whole movie is about. His name Cates. Cates, Bates. Um, Norman? Bertram Cates. Cates. Yeah, it's Bertram Cates. I put the Bertram and the Cates together and got Bates. <laughs> yeah, I'm human. Don't don't we're don't. All we're all human, just just like Florence said. <laughs> <laughs> and but but nevertheless, there, there's so many different character actors in this, and anybody watching it, you're going to see people that are going to pop up, and it's, it's extremely well cast. And I know we're not talking about every actor or actress in the film, but Colin Aikens, his character is set up. To be the one as the as the pastor Brown, to be, um, I, I don't want to say he's like the evil character. He's not. There's no character I really think that's evil. There's just there's just different characters that have different beliefs, yes. and and he's definitely um, very fanatical in his beliefs, and, yes. and and sets the tone for a lot of things that go on in the movie. And I, I thought he, you know, he did a, he did a, a nice job, just like a lot of the character actors did. So I was kind of picking him just as a highlight for different character actors that are in the movie. Well, he kind of steals the movie. I mean, 
that that whole scene where they're when they're having the the, the prayer meeting on on the hillside. I mean, he takes that scene and runs with it. And even I mean, Frederick March has to like pull him aside. And, you know, hey, dude, calm down. Uh, but he, yeah, it's like we're gonna send the hellfire and brimstone. I mean, he, he really runs with it. And yeah, he, he deserves especially because he he did, rarely gets a chance to in his films or his performances to really run with something you know that big and grand as a scene and then he, he did like i said he, he takes it and enjoys the heck out of it uh norman bell he, he's another character actor he comes out real quick at the end he's the guy who, who has the, the microphone for the the radio and he takes it away i mean he, he pops up in a bunch of stuff um uh like PT-109, he's in, he's in Airport 75, he's done a whole bunch of stuff, he's always, always a fun face to see. There's also Three's Company, and... Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of these people are also start like Dick York went later on the star and Bewitched, you know, and it, so a lot of them had these, and like Harry Morgan with Colonel Potter and Madge, a lot of them went on the great TV careers. Um, it's just, it's just amazing how, like, if you're watching it, especially... For a guy that's my age, you're able to pick a lot of these people out and be like, "Oh yeah, that person's in this one, and that person's in that one." It really makes it nice to watch. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're my age, it's a great introduction to all of them. Yeah, agree. Okay, so we kind of idea some of the different things, different people that are in the movie, and we're going to move into different things we like about the movie. We can talk about any scenes, anything in particular. Michaela, we'll start with you. What are some of the things you liked about Inherit the Wind? Um, Hornbeck's Wisecracks. That's about it. Do you, do you think Gene Kelly stands out? Do you, would you, you praise his performance and his one-liners, or is it just, just the one-liners in front of you? It made me not fall asleep. Okay. So, but there's that. I mean, I, I, I never understand the... the, the the hate that he gets do you do you just do there you wasn't anything it? wrong with his performance okay it was fine okay would you have liked it if he had more lines like probably not all right josh what are some of the things you liked the things that i like i love i mean i this is one of my favorite movies so we can you know go on for hours but uh for the sake of this podcast i'll try to keep it short um i love when actors are so into their, or so masters of their craft that directors, I mean, there's the famous saying that this director lets their act, lets the actors loose. And I think this is a perfect example of that because the amount of, and I especially noticed it yesterday when I rewatched it, the amount of long takes this film has is so, I mean, for me as a director, it's so like, it's like candy. It's like, oh, sweet. We were going on for a three, three minute take here and they're all getting their lines right. The camera is in focus. Everything is working. Um, that's a big thing for me. It's just those, those monologues that are just punctuated by, and just letting a, a, a director who is talented enough and confident enough to just let his actors shoot fire at each other, especially that final Frederick March versus, uh, George, George, Scott, um, Spencer Tracy, um, it's just, it's just electric and just seeing, getting them, watching them play off each other. It's, it's so rare nowadays to go to the movies and see a movie that just lets actors act and, and dialogue that, that just allows them to act. And, um, 
that, I mean, the photography is superb. Um, the, the, the themes, I'm sure, I'm, I hope I'm not taking any of your, your ammo, Steve or Ben, but uh, the, the themes are so relevant to today. The fanaticism, the, the search for truth, um, that always is intriguing. Uh, for me, it's like, geez, they're talking about this in 19, whatever year it is, 1920 something, and we're still talking about it. It's, it's, it's nice. Well, <laughs> one of the things that's interesting, the 1960s when the movie came out, I know you're thinking of the, the um, trial. But well, the, the time that the movie's, the movie's set. Yeah, the, the 1920s. The yeah. 1920s. But yeah, um, yeah. the interesting thing is a lot of people. It didn't do as well in the box office as you think when it came out because a lot of people were looking at it as anti-church. And yeah. really the movie is about, and, and, and Henry Drummond the, you know, says it many times in the movie, it's all about a person's right to think. Yes. And to be and the freedom to be able to think what they want to think. And as you just said, that is so t- timely today, just as it was in 1960, just, just basically any time in history. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I'm, it's the, the people who, who I think shoot it down because it's anti-church. They're looking at, you know, they're looking at just segments. They're probably looking at the Claude Aikens part or the, the, the where he's disowning his daughter. It's like, no, no, no. Have you seen the whole movie? It's, it's really not about that. It's about, um, I mean, every religion is going to have this. It's, 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 it's what's, what's the word? The, Zealots. The super, say again? Zealots. Yes, yes, every religion is going to have that. And this just happens, there just happens to be the zealots in this that give that religion a bad name. But at the very end, I mean, it's really not even, a, it's it's actually very pro, uh, I would say, very pro, pro-church pro at the very end. Or it's very, it's open. It's like, hey, we're not, there's not right or wrong here. It's just the ability to have the right to be, to do your own thing. It's, it's yeah, the right to think, like you said, Steve. Well, and you just brought up, because um, Henry Drummond, uh, during the movie, his character is basically being said, um, oh, you're an atheist, and this kind of stuff. And as Gene Kelly finds that at the end, he's not an atheist. Yeah, yeah. He just believes in the, pe- the people being able to think what they want to think, but he also in the, the people being able to interpret, but not to blindly just follow without thinking. Yes. And, yes. and you could you could substitute... If you, wanted, if you wanted to make it a modern rendition of this, you could substitute something else besides church and put a modern spin on it. And there's many things out there that you can make it <clears throat> if you want to make it yeah. like more topical, so to speak, or more in with the times. Yeah, but, and I think that that's another reason why I enjoy it. Like I said, it's so relevant and you, you can... It, it, it works. It's, I think it's still very powerful and... Yeah. Ben? What do you got? Well, the first time that I ever watched this movie, I was kind of going through all the movies that we had in our collection and just watching everything. And this one was just so different from all the other movies that we had. Because, one, it was a drama, and we don't really have all that many dramas. We have a lot more westerns and action films. Mm -hmm. But this one was just so different in the emotions that the characters had, because... Unlike some action films, they actually had emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't didn't expect that coming. (laughs) And it was just, it wasn't as fast-paced as a lot of movies, which I kind of found refreshing, because it wasn't like 
50 explosions in 10 seconds and then a character talking for half a minute. It was people being real people, which I could see this playing out and actually happening somewhere. Whereas some other movies, I just it's just so unrealistic. But this one felt so real that I enjoyed it and wanted to hopefully see it with other people and share it with other people. Nice. Which we're doing right now. Yep. How old were you when you saw it, he asked? How old? Probably 16, maybe 15. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, when you brought up the cinematography, um, I believe that was up for an Academy Award um, yeah, back in 1960. And um, one, as, you, as you brought up, I, I love this movie. I, the reason Ben watched because I own it. I've watched it almost every year, sometimes more than once a year. So I've seen it at least over 40 times. And as you said earlier, every time I watch it, there is something else that'll stick out. You know, you see a different spin because the more often you watch certain movies, you're able to pick out those subtle little details that you miss on an initial viewing. Yes. And sometimes you're able to focus on a particular actor and just say, I'm just going to follow what they're doing in a scene, even though they're not the main focus, just to see what they're doing in the background. And yeah, and, and that, which makes it very interesting. And, and when you have, as we already said, a cast like this, I mean, you're, you're basically watching an actor's actor, so to speak. Yes. And one thing I read that this movie had a lot of people always wanted to be extras on a lot of um, actors that were in the studio around the area wanted to be extras in the background just to watch Spencer Tracy and Frederick March do what they're doing in those courtroom scenes. Yeah. Which, which just tells you how much love is in it. But <clears throat> one of the things I, I noticed in one of my more recent viewings was the opening. And of course they're playing, give me some of that old time religion. And I, I will warn you folks, the one thing, I could say, which could, which it's not a dislike to me, but it's a warning I got to put out. If you watch this movie, you will have give me some of that old time religion in your mind for a good while. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I finally again watched it yesterday afternoon. I finally got it out of my head this morning, and it's probably going to come back now that we're going to start talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're it, welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Josh, we have to bring you back when we down the road and we do On the Beach. That way you'll have Waltzing <laughs> Matilda in your head. Oh, jeez. And it's the same director, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> yeah. He had to think for annoying songs, I guess. Oh, it all depends on your point of view. It, 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 I think just because it's used, but it is used in different speeds. Like the, in the opening, it's very slow and deliberate. But also, it's like it reminded me of the Old West. Because you yeah. have the mayor leaving the courtroom, walking down the street by himself, and then he's joined by the sheriff and another gentleman. Can't remember his name. Um, and then they continue walking as the credits are going up, and the music's playing, and then they're joined by Reverend Brown, and then they finally get to the school where the photographer is, and it was like an old west where they're getting ready for the big gunfight. And that's a, that's a, exactly that's a perfect summation because I immediately thought of. High noon or something be okay because it's even shot in the same way. I mean, some of the angles and it's like, oh, something's gonna go down, and the music is is very 
dreary and it's like oh snap something's gonna it, and it's it's that song right give me that old with the, the pulsing feel to it of something's gonna go down someone's gonna get shot exactly and and and, and, and so the music like if you listen to something some old time religion it's not something you would expect for a a song to set up a showdown, so to speak, which is not like your normal showdown. I and mean, that's when they go and arrest um, Kate's, you know, teaching yeah. evolution in school. Uh, but it's just, it just builds, it sets the movie up very well. Then later on when they play, give me some old time religion, when uh, Matthew Brady's showing up, it's now it's, it's moving. It's got pace. And, yes. and, and so it's the same song, but it's just amazing how they just alter the pace of the song and um, how many people are singing this song can really change it and really add to the atmosphere. Yeah. And it went from somber to almost like a celebration in the middle of the movie because they were all like Matthew Brady worshippers almost. Yeah. And And, and they're chanting chanting it on his big entrance into the, the, the... And how, like, they're so perfectly, like, there's so many verses to that. How did the, all those, I always think every time I watch it, it's like, how do they remember what, how many verses there are um, when they're marching down the street? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess rehearsal. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all, they all come together for rehearsal. You're the director, you would know more than I would, but, you know. But I mean, that's where, I mean that's part of Stanley Kramer's genius. I mean, he went through the system. This was not like one of his first films. This is one of his films after he'd been working in the yeah, in yeah. the in the films for decades as a producer, director, and, um, and stuff like that. So you could just tell he was at the top of his game, at the top of his yes. craft. Oh, definitely, the peak of his craft for sure. I mean, especially if this is after On the Beach, which is you know a tremendous movie. It's, yeah, he's he's he knows what he's doing. I mean, you think about it. The Defined Ones was 1958, race relations. 1959, nuclear holocaust. 1960, the right to think, you know. And um, so it's very, you know, those movies, one director would be happy to have just one of them. But to have three of them in in subsequent years, it's just amazing. And like yourself, I could talk about many other likes, but I want to pass the baton back to you. Oh jeez! <laughs> on 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 my on my life. Yeah. Anything else that you that, you know liked about the movie? Because we, I mean, I've only talked about the opening scene, really. I yeah, it's just it's one of those movies where I just get really sucked into it, and I like Ben. You said it seems very real, and I love movies that that, that take place in very isolated like if it's one room or if it's one it's the courtroom for most of the film and and oh yeah um i love the uh the the the, the added the, the little fans that they have throughout that really adds, <laughs> uh especially especially when frederick march is getting grilled by spencer you see you see how the how he starts moving the fan faster and faster um yeah that was just a little detail that i noticed this time uh, Interestingly yeah. enough, I noticed a little detail for the first. Yesterday, I actually watched the movie twice. Okay. Um, and the, yes. Oh, Michaela's got something she wants to add. I would like to say I appreciated the fans are from the funeral home. That's all I want. Yep, they are. They're from the funeral home. Really? Oh, that's that's. That, that is true. They I are from the funeral home. Catch that. Oh, nice cat. 
<laughs> that's that's I mean that's obviously very you know what's the word uh, uh, when they, they uh, on purpose that's purposeful that's I like that interesting. And then she just made me totally forget what I was going to talk about. She totally took yeah, me yeah. by surprise. I'm so shocked. Like, <laughs> you said you couldn't watch oh. it twice. Oh, yeah, thank you. No, ben, ben actually remembered it for me. Oh, thank you. Good job, you Ben. You just noticed that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday I noticed that the rocking chairs, when mm-hmm. when um, Drummond and Brady are both talking at night, and um, they're talking about the Golden Dancer. Yes. And he's using that as... Um, an example of people believing in something, but then what, when they be, or buying something or, or whatever, and then finding With out no substance. No substance. Yeah. Did you ever notice that rocking chairs are never in sync? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then I, it's almost when uh, there's it's, and that's another example of a very long shot. I think that whole scene is one one take, one long shot. Um, that the good point about them not being in sync, and it's almost. For most of the scene, Spencer Tracy's talking, it's almost played for Frederick March's reaction, if you, you, you caught that. Like, Spencer is, is going back and forth, rocking back and forth, and we're almost just focusing. We, we, we hear Spencer Tracy, and he's in frame, but he keeps going in and out of frame, and we're almost just focusing on how Frederick March reacts to it. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I like that you brought it that they're not in sync. Um, symbolic. <laughs> Well, and one of the things I don't know Ben wants to mention it is you would talk about their friendship. Mm-hmm. All up to you. Oh, okay. Um, <coughs> in the movie, Henry Drummond and of course Matthew Brady are playing the prosecutor and defense attorney, but they're also old friends who drifted yes. apart. And one of the best lines, and I believe yes. it was during the rocking chair scene. Yes. Is um I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, is where um Matthew Brady goes, Why why did you move so far away, you know, from where I was? And Henry Drummond said something to the effect of movement's all relative. Standing mm-hmm. you, you, if you're standing still and I and I just walk over there, it's it's because you stayed still, you know, without yeah. adjusting. And and, for, and Brady's character is saying that he did not want to change. And it's a, so you can also make not just thinking, but changing and adapting to the times yeah. is also a theme of this film. Very much so. Um, you, you took all the good stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I still got more to go. I said this, like yeah, I said, this, yeah. movie, this movie is like one of my all-time favorites, but I'll give Ben a chance. I mean, I didn't get a chance to talk about Spencer Tracy earlier because I wanted to talk about Frederick March. Uh-huh. But... I read that Spencer Tracy was actually nominated for an Academy Award from this film. One of his, he said he had nine nominations, and this was one of them. And I think that was really a testament to how he played... What's his name? Drummond? Yeah, Henry Drummond. Uh, to how he played Henry Drummond in the movie, and to how he had a relationship with Frederick March in the movie. That was almost like, I don't know if you, if anyone has seen... Uh, Matlock, but it's like Matlock and the female attorney that comes in towards the end of the series, where they kind of have this feuding rivalry, but they're still really good friends. Yes. And and, and uh, but do you think do you think they're still friends? And, but I think they, they it's almost very just amicable. Like they were, I think they were very close because he uh, 
we learned that Henry Drummond uh, campaigned when uh, Brady was, was running for president, president. But I think it's, it's almost like the best friends who just completely split. I don't think they're, they're friends anymore. I think it's, it's unless, I mean, I'm willing to hear a different side. I got a more of like, this is work. And at the end of the day, we're going to go home and it's just going to be another case that we were in. Mm-hmm. And it was just work. That's kind of the vibe that I got from it, especially since, like, Brady's wife was being friendly and having dinner with Drummond and that kind of thing, where it was like, they're still, all three of them are still friends with each other, and they can still talk to each other, but they're not like, I'll be over at your house next Saturday, what are we having for dinner? And I I think you're you're right about the the, the fact that this is just another job, but I think uh, with Brady, I think that would be. I think he takes it. He takes this a little because he even says he's like, no, it's, it's God who's on trial. I think he takes it just a little bit too far. And I definitely think uh, Drummond and, and Mrs. Brady, they're like, oh, it's another case. It'll be fine in the middle. He'll have this little. Brady will have his little speech and then we'll, we'll forget about this. But I think Brady takes it a little bit too far. And uh, I mean, obviously, that, that's what. Kills him. Um, yep. I agree with you. I think I don't. I, I don't think they're friends during the movie. I think it's more mutual respect. Yes. yes but Sarah Brady, his wife, and Henry Drummond, I still believe are friends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And because and 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 the dialogue they have at the um, restaurant when yes. they're eating together while um, Matthew Brady's talking to doing his press dinner, so to speak. Um, and she's like, well, why, why did we go so far apart? Why did you, you know, why aren't you too close? You can tell she still wants to be friends and he's bringing yes. up. And, and I thought it was great when he said that, yes, he was his campaign manager for two of his presidential runs. Um, but he said, I still think Matt, Matt would have been a good president, but yeah. he would have been a good king. I would have voted for him as king just to have you as queen. Yes. That's a great line. I think he actually was one of those, like, there are three friends, and I think he loved her, is the way the movie sets it up. And it's just one of those things that just, well, you know, it ended up he won't, she won't with my best friend at that time. And Interesting. I never thought of it that way. But, again, that's, I mean, that's totally believable. And we'll never know, but it's just one of those interesting things that just the two of them did, you could slide that in as backstory. Yeah. And I like that. That's, that's nice. I also liked how they set up Brady's overeating and the heat from the very yes. get-go, where oh, yeah. if you if you weren't familiar with very hot climates, you didn't really understand that you could really overeat and then overheat and then probably die. Yeah. But <laughs> and I mean, doesn't Frederick March have like the most disgusting way of eating? Like he has that, that, that <laughs> where he has to smack his lips and he's always you know moving his gums up and down. Um, it's almost like he can't, can't, here you go. He can't what? It's almost like he can't decide whether he wants to finish eating or talk more. Or talk, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And even he brings up the, the, he's eating the chicken leg in the courtroom at the very end. Um, but yeah, I love also talking about things we love, uh, at that same dinner, Steve, when, uh, freaking, he's, he's pouring on. 
the mashed potatoes. He has like three scoops of mashed potatoes on his plate. He gets all the chicken, and then it goes over to Spencer Tracy as Henry Jamin, and he has like that tiny little, you know, peanut butter ham sandwich or their cheese sandwich. <laughs> it's it's a very I mean talk about symbolic. It's very interesting uh, juxtaposition between the two. The white bread is like perfectly cut, very very tiny, but. Uh, yeah. His glass of milk and oh, because yeah. he, his character has ulcers, yeah. and, and he's actually listening to his doctor and yeah. following rules. Where um, Brady, so Sarah Brady said to Matthew Brady that you know your doctor warned you don't eat too much in the heat, and he just disregards it, yeah. and yeah. ends up as you said paying the price at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but it was also why he was eating at that same thing at the press dinner. Gene Kelly's character is sitting next to him and his body language and eyes as he's watching Matthew Brady eat all this food, food is just, you just, it's just, it's, again, it's one of those things when you're watching a multiple viewings, instead of focusing on that main character, you can start focusing on what are um, people. Yes. And that's just one of those things that was like, Oh man, it, it's, he's just eating it up. I mean, imagine yeah, how yeah. many takes they had to do of that where Frederick March is just kind of sitting there eating, talking to people. I wonder yeah, how much weight he gained during this movie. <laughs> well, I bet, I, I wonder, like, everyone is bringing, is bringing their A-game. I wonder how many takes it took. Because, I mean, some of those are, like I said, three-minute takes. It's like, how many takes, it, uh, how many takes, I, I would like to think that they didn't take too many takes. Like, everyone was just so on that they, had, they got it right the first time. I'd love to think that. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I mean, and even if they did get it right the first time and used the first one, they might have done more just to see if something different happened. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, it was Stanley Kramer directing and not Stanley Kubrick. Oh, <laughs> nice, nicely done. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because they would have been like, oh, it's, we're going to do the 58th take, you know, 1,000, oh, and we're going to go take two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, of course, I think Spencer Tracy would, I don't think Spencer Tracy ever would allow himself to be directed by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. But Very few people would. <laughs> <laughs> now, we haven't yet to talk really much detail about the, the most prominent scenes, and that are the courtroom scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you talked about one take, there's the scene where um, Spencer Tracy is talking to the jury about... Um, the person's right to think and all this stuff like yes. think that was done in one take yeah from what I read and because they wouldn't because Stanley Kramer went to capture that power and emotion that Spencer Tracy was bringing and really it, those courtroom scenes I mean you want to watch the, the whole movie to get the whole idea of what's going on but if, if you went to skim to the good stuff so to speak you could go to the courtroom scenes and pretty much start at that spot on and really get the, the gist of the whole movie yeah. um, from it. But it's just, oh, his, his acting. I mean, it's just, again, that's why I think Spencer Tracy is is one of the greatest actors, one of my top five actors ever. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's interesting. Okay, interesting. Because, again, it, it just, well, this movie, I don't know Ben picked it, but to me it's it's it's, in my opinion, it's 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 probably my favorite drama nice. yeah. of all time, just uh-huh. because of what it means, and just and, and Spencer Tracy is playing a character. It's like everybody's right to think, you know, you have your right to it's and and to be and right to say what you're doing. Yeah, it, it just speaks so timely 
like we said earlier with other stuff, but it's always something, even since I saw when I was like, uh, it was the movie of the week. I think I saw when I was 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere nice. around that time for the nice. first time. And I was you're just watching it and you're just, just drawn in, you know, to the whole yeah. thing. But the courtroom scenes, especially when he calls Brady to the stand, because well, that's that's when you know. I mean, that's, I mean, any courtroom scene, there's always going to be that. Oh, here we go. It's it's because the equivalent of we asked Colonel Jessup to the stand in the uh, what's it called? A few good men. Yeah. Like, oh snap! We're bringing Jack Nicholson back in. Like, you can't oh, handle the truth. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's especially when those doors open and he walks in. You're like, oh. Hoop's gonna hit the fan. That's that's and especially you can sense it's coming along when uh, they're they're Gene Kelly and Professor Tracy are in the hotel room and Gene Kelly's is like you're gonna need a miracle here. Here's a whole book full of miracles and he turns around and throws the Bible at Professor Tracy and then because and that's well, one of the most frustrating things is when the court dismisses all of the 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 witnesses that are the, the experts that Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy has brought in, you know, zoologists, uh, geologists, and archaeologists to give, you know, witness testimony on, on, uh, on the case, and the court just dismisses. He's like, no, that's not, that's not relevant. That's not relevant. And it's oh, freaking Frederick March is just eating it up when he's like, objection, and then Spencer Tracy's like, oh, you're gonna object this one too, objection, and so it's just. You're, you're boiling over because you want just this for the sake of the underdog to win, and just to see when Gene Kelly throws the Bible at Mr. Tracy's like, here's a whole book full of them. You see the, the wheels in Tracy's head start 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 moving a mile a minute. And you're like, oh, what is he gonna what is he gonna do? How is he gonna make this work? And this, like you said, the, the following day, he's like, I'd like to call a, a, an expert to the stand. I love that sly little smile on Spencer yeah. Tracy's face. Just that the little. Upward right on his lip, where he starts to be like, yes. "I got, yes. I got, I got a plan." Mm -hmm. And we'll play in your ballpark, Colonel. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and to use the Western analogy, this is the showdown. This is—I mean, they're not using guns; they're using words. But this is the gunfight that everybody's been yeah. waiting for all movie oh, long. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just from an audience, to, just for the underdog and the, the audience to see see it all. Oh, I just love those moments, especially when um, I, oh, I should have written it down because there's one part in the, they're good. Tracy and, and Marge, they're, they're going back and forth, boom, 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 boom. Some of them are getting points here, points there. But there's one point where Tracy corners him, and there's a shot of... Oh, you're, you're talking about the um, how long is a day? I think, I think, that's, because I think that's the part. Yes. And it, it cuts away to... to, to Gene Kelly and Dick York, and, and they, they have a moment of, here it is, here's, here's the death, death blow, and I can't, I might be the, the, how long a day is, but it cuts back to, and it just reinforces, and like, oh, here we go, here we go, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna do it here. Ah, it's, it's just, it's just awesome. Yeah, for those wondering, because, um, he, Henry Drummond brings in a, um, a rock, which ends up being a fossil. And, yes. and, um, <coughs> excuse me, Brady's character, he says it's 10 million years old or something like that. And Brady's character as well, but your your expert has that wrong. That, that can't be more than 6,000 years old because Archbishop Usher has the, gone through his documents and said that it was 4,000 and something B.C. or whatever. He, the character Brady said it much more precise. 
And yes, then, and then he goes and says, and then Henry Drummond says something, and then goes back to Brady, and he goes, "Oh, to be exact, he said it happened October twenty third at nine in the morning, nine a.m." Yes. And I love Henry Drummond. He goes, "Eastern Standard Time or Rocky yeah, yeah. Mountain Time," but it sure wasn't daylight savings time because mm-hmm. there was no sun. <laughs> Then that's oh, when he yeah. that's when he hit nail about how long is a day and he goes you interpret so a day could have been twenty five hours a hundred years a hundred million years or whatever you know and um, and that's when I always love that scene it's just like yeah. it's like finally he's gaining ground and he also you got it yeah for when you're watching the um, the people in the the background in the courtroom the, as the movie goes al- along they start to shift on some of them Do where they? where where Henry Drummond is starting mm-hmm. to gain ground. He gets the banker. He gets the Stebbins oh, yes. family. Oh, yes. and, well, and he has the yes. kids. He has the high school kids to begin with. If you remember earlier, the banker never even wanted to prosecute against Cates. He thought that it would that not having evolution talk to the kids was going to cripple the town's economy. Mm-hmm. But he, then... He was trying to be very logical about the whole thing. Yep. And he was thinking... And he was thinking through the money. But then yeah. the other people convinced him that it would be such a tourist attraction to have the case that he was like, oh, we can make money off of this. But then it got to the point around this part in the movie where they're having this argument over how long a day is, where he was realizing the rest of the world hates us now. Yeah. yeah. And then he was kind of like, we got to play this down as much as we can. Even, even, I mean, at the very end, I love the mayor going up to the, the judge and was like, so uh, the governor called and he wants us to keep this very quiet or like sweep <laughs> this under the rug. And, you know, November is not too far off. Yep. Of course, he brings that up to him just as, just before the verdict is read. And, <laughs> and the judge is like, to spoil the whole trial, but he's like, $2 fine. No, $100 fine. $100 fine. I love how he says it. He goes on the the court has, there's never been anything done with this in the court before, so there's nothing to base their verdict, you know, the punishment on. He goes, and he goes on this whole thing. He changes his whole voice. Harry Morgan did a great job. He goes, $100. And, you know. Exactly. All right, so any more light? About the move, anything you want to say? Anything? Anything other positive things you want to bring up? It's it's yeah. I think I think we put we put put a nice dent in it. Um, I mean, I, think we, I mean, like what what we ended on. I thought it was really kind of funny how underhanded the town council group was. How they were really like, this is about us getting reelected and making money. We do not care about the actual law. Except the yeah. pastor who was like, this disagrees with the Bible. We need to do something. Everyone else was thinking about it like, I need to run for election next year, and I need to make some money. Yeah, I think I think the banker and Reverend Brown were consistent the whole time. You know, one was, one was logic and reason, as he said. He likes to look at numbers. He's the banker. Makes sense. And um, the Reverend was like, we have a call to do this. Yeah. And um, it, 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 so it's interesting because they're, they're both on the same council and, and you're right. It, it, 
and a lot of the people in the council are upset when they did the court thing, when they seen the papers come back and people are, and papers are making fun of them until they got the paper that said Matthew Brady is coming to prosecute. And then they're all thinking, as Ben said about all these people, they got to sit, they got, they're going to come to watch Matthew Brady. They got to sleep somewhere. They got to eat somewhere. And believe it or not, I mean, there's not many things that are historically accurate about this compared to the Scopes monkey trial in real life. But that was one of the the true factors that is that the townspeople did this. They actually wanted the trial so they could have this commercial effect. (laughs) And they were not, and they weren't negative. In real life, they weren't negative. They weren't hostile to anybody. Well, that, that doesn't make it an interesting movie, so, no, <laughs> so right. I understand why it was changed. <laughs> no, yeah. I was going to say, it's almost like it's the same as Jaws, where it's like, we need to open these beaches, we need these summer dollars. We need, <laughs> you know, as soon as the shark comes, you yell shark, and we're just, you know, we got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. I mean, it's also similar to some of the characters in 12 Angry Men. Like, the banker oh, okay. is more like that guy that wore the glasses and wanted to always talk about the logical reasons. And the reverend was more like the one who ripped the picture of his kid in half. Yeah. Interesting. I love 12 Angry Men, too. That's oh, one. That, that's one of my favorite dramas also. And Michaela is shaking her head. This is not what her... <laughs> Predicting the future. We'll Predicting eventually future. do a podcast. But, but 12 Angry Men is another movie I watch on a yearly basis. Yeah. Um, and, and again, since since a young age, with it, well, and Josh, when we do that one down the road, if you want to join in, you know, just let I'd me know, because that's another <laughs> one I could I could go on for a while about, and, and the cinematography for that one oh, is yeah. just it's it's amazing um, the different Cindy uses. Well, we don't want to say he could do no wrong. He is a human being, as as Sarah Brady said, and he's not a saint. <laughs> there you go. Yes, he's not a saint, and he's not a devil. He's a man. He's a human being. Okay. Well, I think, um, can, we, can we shift to, to what we did like? That's what yeah, we're about I to shift to. I'm, and I'm itching to hear Michaela's testimony on this. Now, people listening to this have noticed Michaela's been virtually Science. comatose <laughs> during this part <laughs> of the podcast because this is her moment. I, I mean, actually, she told me to, to go for us first if we have any dislikes before we get to her. I have no dislikes to share. Um, the only dislikes that I have is how odd it feels being out of the courtroom during some of the scenes, because most of it is shot in the courtroom. It felt weird and almost out of place when they weren't in the courtroom or in the hotel. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I I, I see what what you mean, where you like, we get comfortable in the courtroom, but it's almost like... And I want to say to the other, no, the other, the other versions have the scenes outside the courtroom too. But um, yeah. like, it's almost like we have to, to, to. I wonder how they do it on stage. Um, that would be a transition time for a set change. So, like, if they were going from the courtroom to the um, the outside scene where it's the prayer night or whatnot, and then mm-hmm. afterwards they go and they're outside the hotel for the rocking chair scene. So that would give time for either a turntable or flat uh, flats to come in and out, drops, 
for that to happen. So that would probably be an in-front-of-the-curtain scene. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I see what, you, what you're, you're talking, uh, what you mean, Ben, but it's like it's this, those, those scenes, like they, like we, I think we have to see stuff at the hotel. I mean, that, that's all. I would love for some, somehow it all takes place in the, the, the courtroom, but... Uh, I mean, it almost seems to me like the like if a lawyer in Law and Order was giving their speech in the park, is what it kind of felt like in some of those scenes. How do you how do you mean? What what, what do you want? Like it felt like they were a fish out of water when they weren't in the courtroom or ah, okay. in a confined space because they seemed to fit really well in the confined space. But especially, I didn't particularly like the scene during the prayer meeting. Even though the pastor seemed really in place, Henry Drummond's character seemed so out of place in the crowd outside in, like, a huge crowd. It kind of was lost on me a little bit. I think that was part of the point. I, th- I think the reason, like, you wonder, like, why would Henry Drummond or um, um, Hornbeck's character be there? You know, I think... One, you got to look at the time. It's the 1920s. It's not like they had a lot of other entertainment going on. <laughs> and true, two, true. you want to get a feel for what's going on in the town. Because of what's the pulse. Because the, the jurors are going to be there and um, in all likelihood. So you want to get an idea of what, what's happening. And, of course, Henry Drummond misses a key thing that Brady picks up on. And that is Rachel, um, the fiancé to um, Kate's. Um, when she gets um, damned by her father and then has that breakdown scene and he comforts her, which leads to ammunition that he uses in the courtroom. Yes, yes. And if Henry Drummond would have been paying attention to that, he could have been the one that consoled her and then that would have avoided that whole thing, bringing up the Stebbins child, which we didn't talk about in this episode, but I mean, it's it's um, the, the point where it explains um, why Kate's did what he did, so to speak. I guess we'll save that for, for you know, the audience. Like, we spoiled everything else. Like, <laughs> I guess we could save that for <laughs> for a non-spoiler audience viewing. Exactly. We, we, we don't have to talk about everything that happened in a, in a over two-hour movie. Even though that is a great, great scene. Uh, but, uh, so, Michaela. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to I'd like to hear your, your thoughts. Yeah, so we now turn this on to the Michaela time of her dislikes of the movie. I, okay, so earlier Ben was saying how he enjoyed the slower pacing. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy the slower pacing. Well, it did not keep my interest. I almost fell asleep multiple times when we were watching it last night. Dad had to keep nudging me to keep me awake. Um, I've actually seen this movie twice. I saw it once last night, and I saw it once when I was a freshman in high school for uh, American government. Our teacher put it on for our last two classes of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not impressed with it then either. I only remembered that I had seen the movie when I was in high school about, what was it, maybe like 30 seconds into the movie. It was very quickly into the movie, you realized, oh, I've seen this before. And then when you saw Gene Kelly's character walk in, which is just a... I don't know, five, ten minutes, probably ten minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. you were like, oh, I know I've seen it before. <laughs> yeah. And 
I remembered seeing it, and I remembered I was like, I really didn't like it. And I guess part of the reason is you guys say that it it stood out so much in your mind, even from the first time you saw it. Well, I saw it once, and then I completely forgot about it. It didn't stand out to me. It didn't really hold or, like, carve a place inside of my memory like other movies have done. So it's just not not can really I, my I, cup of tea. Yep. Can I ask your, 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 you said that the other movies that have carved out in your mind, can I ask what some of those are? Um, I really, one of my, probably my favorite movie of all time is Jim Hansen's Labyrinth with oh, uh, David okay. Bowie. So okay. I really love that movie. I've probably seen it over a hundred times or so. Uh -huh. Um, oh yeah, yeah, my dad's, my dad's agreeing. Uh, he was... also seen Old Yeller more, I, I, cause she, when she was a child, she made me watch Old Yeller with her more times than I ever wanted to watch Old Yeller. Old Yeller, interesting. Cause I watched it once and that was good enough for me as a child, but my daughter was just, it's just, a good movie. You made me watch it over 50 times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How many times did I make you watch Cats? I'm surprised that tape survived. Yes, the musical. When I was younger, I um, learned how to work the tape rewinder. And so, and how to like put VHSs in and everything. So that way... Like, they could just kind of leave me to my own device, and so I would just, if I, I would watch something, and then I'd rewind it, and then I'd put it in, and I'd watch it again. And so, there were a few movies that I did that with. One of them was a recording of Cats, the musical. Um, another one was the Aristocats. Okay. <laughs> and another one was Runaway Bride. Of course, because, you know, those make the perfect triple feature. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, uh, it, so I, I take it, courtroom drama, just, it's just not your cup of tea. It's just courtroom See, it's, it's not really my... It's not really my cup of tea, but I also like... Matlock. I like, I like Matlock. <laughs> I like Perry Mason. I like hey. murder. She wrote. It's a complicated issue, I, Josh. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's. I, I don't. I don't know if it's because those are more episodic, so everything happens within yeah. a more a more faster timeline, and it's not as elongated. Well, is is just um, the issue like that? The maybe because it's not like a murder case. Is it just like who cares about? I mean. Not, not that who cares, but it's just it's not intriguing to the, the, the plot line, or? I, like the, I don't, it's just not something that really grabs my attention and holds it very well. It's, mm. it's something that, like, I don't hate that I watched it. I mean, I watched it. I don't feel the desire to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Ever. Twice is enough. Interesting. Now, I will say, watching it with her last night, I mean, <coughs> she did like the, some of the Hornbeck lines. I mean, yeah. she did, you know, she also, I think the one line 
Because um, I queued it up for I kind of said, oh, you're going to like this. It's going to happen. Yeah, when I knew Drummond that. came into the hotel with Brady. Oh, that with the rocking chairs. I thought you were no, talking No, not the rocking chair. When, the, when, the, when Drummond first comes into the hotel and Brady comes to greet him. Yes. And they're both talking back and forward to each other. And he goes, we drifted oh, yeah. apart. And what happens? He goes, well, that's evolution for you. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do appreciate a witty one-liner or a good pun. Um, I, I am well known for my love of puns. Yes, Ben. Like the, uh, the enunciator scene where the, what the, it was the radio thing. The guy called in the enunciator that was setting it up uh-huh. where, uh, Drummond you said God, God. And then he said, you can't yeah. say God on the radio. And he covered it up. And he said, well, what the hell am I supposed to say? And the guy said, you can't say hell either. And he said, this is going to be very unentertaining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, it almost felt like a lot of the character actors were there as the comedic relief, mm-hmm. and everyone else was being extremely serious. I mean, I did think it was funny that the guy finished setting up, sets up this radio microphone that's live linked to whatever radio station it was and then you know the mayor walks right up next to it and is talking with the uh the judge about how he should uh let him let him off on an easy sentence because you know november's coming up well luckily they don't record and it was only being live in chicago so i guess they'll be okay in heavenly heavenly hillsborough (laughs) but interesting i mean that's interesting that you like like Perry Mason and those stuff, but this one doesn't doesn't do it for you. No, not not really. Hmm. Very interesting. I mean, there's I'm, there's films that that I think um, it's funny. I just had this conversation with a friend. We were talking about Billy Wilder and we talked about The Apartment. I don't know. If- Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Yes. Yeah. And. I love Billy Wilder. I love Shirley MacLaine. I love Jack Lemmon. And for some reason, that film just doesn't work for me. I love Fred McMurray, and it's just like, yeah, sorry, that, that it's not working for me. And so maybe this is the case of that. But well, we have... Go ahead, it's it's also I don't like Twelve Angry Men either. I've also mm-hmm. seen that before. Mm-hmm. I also, and I know this one's controversial. I don't like To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. I don't... And, like, to me, all three of those movies are kind of in a similar vein of... Not not just that they're around a courtroom, but they have similar pacings and similar styles of delivery, and that just does not intrigue me as much as... Well, I mean... One of the things that you that's missing from like a Matlock episode and this is there's no investigation. Like they don't go out and show people looking up things to help them win the case. They just come pre made and you hear their delivery of them. Yeah. Or you see him try and bring in experts. Uh-huh. Like there wasn't really any going out and finding the one thing that's going to make you win. It's, yeah, the discussion about it. It's the, the, the present. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying there. Um, interesting, interesting. Uh, did you, is there any... Is it the time period, or is it just that type of film? Like, do you like any films of, like, the 60s that are... 
like film films. Well, she loves Old Yeller. Yeah, I like Old Yeller. Um, I like. When did Meet Me in St. Louis come oh, out? I think Meet Me yeah. in St. Louis was in the 1940s. I think yeah. it was 1945 or 46, somewhere around there. I like. Yeah, yeah, like Meet Me in Meet Me in St. Louis, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Um, I know both of those are more. They're musicals, but um. I enjoyed both of them. Um, what else is from the 60s era? There's a, there's a lot of movies. I know the there's 60s. a lot of movies from the 60s era. <laughs> I mean, it's like but movies like, from the 60s that you like. I mean, yeah. you know you more than I know. You know um, like Have you watched I'm many movies? Well, I guess just like that, that particular genre of the black and white courtroom drama. I mean, Anatomy of a Murder is in there. Uh, Judgment in Nuremberg, you brought up uh, the witness for the prosecution is another one, I guess. I guess um, and I've never all... seen any of those that you just named. Interesting. They, I mean, they're, they're all, you probably won't enjoy it, but... <laughs> I, I don't think, it, it'd be interesting to have her down the road if we do Judgment in Nuremberg, because I think that's, you talk about pacing, that's a lengthy film. <laughs> I mean, they all are, they all, all kind of have to they're, they're, they're I think Anatomy of a Murder is three hours too, and uh, and I, they're very yeah, they're just, they they take their time and they're actor driven and they're black and white and yeah, I guess I guess that's just not your cup of tea, Michaela. But she yeah. likes it's Sorry. a mad, 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 mad world, and that's yeah. in that same time frame. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like that My might... chicken is better than you know. Coconut cream pie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that might have just been Stanley Kramer's style kind of showing where his movies are a little bit longer than a lot of movies that came out at that time, but they're really actor driven. And I guess that just doesn't hit with everybody. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't know. Um, Michaela might like the defiant one because that's a totally different type of movie. That's um, Tony Curtis. I believe it was Sidney Poitier. Yes, and, and they're chained together, and they're they're prisoner, and they escape. So it's 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 a pursuit, and they learn to have to work together. So it's a, it's a different type of film, same director, mm-hmm. but I, it, it, you might like that one better just because of the, the, the genre switch. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I love it. I love it when I meet someone. I mean, because it's so easy to say. Oh, and Eric the Wind. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. But I love it. I love it when I find someone who doesn't like one of my favorite films because I we get to it's like, why is it interesting? And I mean, you you learn a lot, especially as a filmmaker and Van Buren actor. You, you you hear, I love to hear opposing viewpoints. It's like, well, why did this actor, this movie work for you? Why did this act, actor work for you? It's, it's I, I love it. So thank you, Michaela, for sticking to your guns on this one, even when you have the whole you know the whole army against you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's even, it's not necessarily that I don't like things that are actor driven because I am, I am, I do major in theater, though I do, I do tech and I don't act, but um, we just finished doing Claiborne Park at um, where I go to college and I enjoyed it. It did some of the parts where it was a lot more long-winded did I not enjoy as much possibly but I still enjoyed it overall um 
I'm not sure. Are you familiar with the play? I don't think so. Remind me. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of the play Raisins in the Sun? Yes. Okay, so Claiborne Park, the first act, takes place before Raisins in the Sun, and the second act takes place afterwards. Um, It's about a house in Chicago on this fictional um, road called Claiborne Park, and in 1959, there is this couple that are selling their house on Claiborne Park. And it is bought by an African-American family. And it's about people in the community and their reactions to finding out that this house is going to be bought um, by this family that's different than all of them. And then Act 2 takes place um, 50 years later in 2009. And there is a rich family that is purchasing the same house. And they want to tear it down and build this giant like mansion that's like 15 feet three inches taller than every than the next buildings around it and the people who live there um who are predominantly of more working class um kind of poorer families want to stop this so it's kind of an interesting um kind of almost role reversal or juxtaposition between the two times and while there's still a similar situations going on it's somewhat reversed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's very interesting there's one two three four five six seven Eight. There's like eight characters, but there are like seven main people and one who comes in at the very end. Um, and so in the, the 1959 part of the show, they all play certain characters and then each character, when they're cast they have two roles. They have a role in the first act and they have a role in the second act. And so each one, it has to be that same person that plays both of them. Um, Interesting. Because it's, it's very important to how it all ends up playing out. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't, if you get a chance, you should check it out. Yeah. That's, and you you guys did the the show? Yes, we did the show. Sweet. That sounds, that sounds awesome. But um, I think this, I, I had this as a question, but I think we all this will be this will be quick and easy. Um, uh, we'll, we'll start with um, you, Josh. Um, do you recommend this movie to a friend? <laughs> I well, I, I taking into Michaela taking into account Michaela's uh, <clears throat> point of view, I would recommend it if you are a fan of this genre. If this genre of gritty courtroom drama, this is one of the best, if not the best, courtroom drama. I mean, if you're a fan of courtroom drama, you need to see it, for sure. If it's not your cup of tea, like Michaela said, if, if you don't, um, aren't a fan of uh, the, the To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, Twelve Angry Men, it's it's, it's just like those films, if not better, and 
you're not going to see anything different here. So, I, me personally, yes, I think it's one of the, the greatest, most awesome, epic, um, actor-driven films that I've ever, it's one of my favorites. I, I it's not top 10, top 20, I mean, it's, it's, it's up there, and I would kill to do it on stage. I've been trying to do it on stage for a very long time, and it always gets shut down in favor of something more fantastic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I say thumbs up for me with that little asterisk of if it's your cup of tea. Yeah. All right. Michaela? No. <laughs> Would you recommend it to your enemies? I don't hate them that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was that was short and sweet, and uh, and and I think anybody had already heard the prior stuff with knew where that was going anyway. Ben, I'd recommend it to my friends. I'd recommend it to my enemies. I'd recommend it to people I don't know. I'd recommend it to small children that wouldn't understand anything that happens in it. <laughs> oh, don't be cruel. Gotta introduce them to black and white movies at some point. True. Can't get them. Can't let them get too used to this 4K Ultra HD stuff. Personally, if I, can... if I was introducing a black and white movie to a young child, I'd probably go. Depending on the age of the child, either like a silent movie with a lot of comedy, or like um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, something that. Or like Duck Soup. You let her grow up watching Cats musical over and over again. No, 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 no. no. That was her. That was her grandparents. That was her own. <laughs> And I watched Godzilla as a child. Yeah, so did I, but that that's probably not a great thing to show a little kid. Now you bring up now you bring up Godzilla from nineteen fifty four. Rescue for movies in the fifties and sixties, and now you say Godzilla. Well, it wasn't a courtroom drama. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the courtroom that he steps on. Well, we're just talking about movies that she liked, you know, from that time period. He was trying to get an idea. Josh was trying to get a basis of what. She's interested. She started with Labyrinth. I mean, come on. It's, it's not like a hard stretch to go to Godzilla. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> definitely recommend the movie. Don't care who you are or what you do. You should watch it at some point to see whether you hate it or love it. It's worth it just to try. I agree to that 100%. <laughs> and and I, I kind of second what Ben said. It's always good to try movies. Um, that's one of the things, like, like I said, I'm going to the Annapolis Film Festival. And Last year I went, and there was movies I went to, and you have, you know, like a, uh, a couple sentence, maybe a paragraph about what the movie's about. And some of them you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this one or not, but let, let me, I've already paid my money. I got the pass. Let's go try it. And you find some gems in there that you're just like, wow, that was really good. And you get in broadens your experience in yeah. life. And this is one of those movies, if you take a if you understand its true themes about the, the right to think and to be able to think that is the theme of the movie, you know, and a lot of people get stuck up with creationism versus evolution, which is just the um, dressings to hide the true message. Um, if they really look at the message, I think it really is something that's timely and, and still, it's still relevant today and probably will be relevant 50 years from today. Now, as to whether or not you want to do repeat viewings of it, that it, that's going to depend on your taste. You know, as, as Michaela said, she didn't like it. She didn't, I mean, but, you know, she saw it once. She's not going to see it again. It's not like she was like, oh, my God, you just totally ruined my whole day. 
I'm getting from what you, you know, you said the thing. It's like, you know, so she still, you know, you know, she wasn't upset that she saw the movie. Um, she, she'd be upset if she saw the movie again. <laughs> yes. Um, and that kind of thing. And I think that that's the thing. You, you got to expand your horizon. It's like with music. If all you stick with is one genre of music, if you don't try other genres, you're never going to know if you appreciate that genre or not. So sometimes it's good to go to a concert of a group you've never seen before or whatever. You know, somebody's offering you a ticket. It's good to go to a movie, you know, or or somebody's lending you their DVD or Blu-ray of the movie. It's not like it's costing anything, but that, that small investment of time to see whether you enjoy it or not. And you'll find out early on. So, I mean, it's, it's always good to challenge yourself. And I think this movie is a good movie for that. And, uh, you know, 75% of us really enjoy it. So there's a good chance that you, you're really going to like it. I mean, it's, but no movie is going to be a hundred percent. Any movie that has a hundred percent listing, there's something wrong with that because. <laughs> Either one person has reviewed it, but there's a liar somewhere. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so you can get a lot of positive critical reviews, but I mean, there, there, no movie is going to be universally accepted because people, yes. as, as Sarah Brady said, they like to pick it apart. You know, it's it's like you put on something, they raise it up on a pedestal only to tear you down. And sadly, that's, that seems to be our culture more and more nowadays. Exactly. Well said, sir. All right. So, Josh. I, I, we, didn't, we didn't say this earlier when we introduced you, but you are a multi-talented person. You are an actor, director, you know, a, an international man of intrigue. <laughs> well, thank you. Because you're all over the place. I follow you on Facebook, and, and, and next, one day you're in London. Next day you're in, you know, California. I mean, you're all, you're, you're everywhere. I, I mean, obviously, if you ever need, if you ever need your passport renewed, you know you could talk to Michaela. <laughs> Because obviously you have a well-used passport. <laughs> yes. But um, anything you want to talk about, like yeah, the coming up, and or how you want pe- or how people can follow along, um, any like Facebook or anything that you want if people if they want to follow you. Well, um, I, I like you, you said. I, I do make my own movies. I have I have yet to make my epic black and white courtroom drama. So fans of Inherit the Wind, not sure if you'll enjoy my particular type of filmmaking. I'm really into the color, gothic, hammer, horror films of hammer film productions. And, you know, uh, but I will say I, I should have remembered. I, I have referenced Inherit the Wind in one of my films and I'll remember it for at some point, but I know I have referenced it at some point. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, Enjoy any of those stuff I just said, uh, or if you just like films in general, it's Josh Kennedy, Joshua Kennedy, Man of the Arts on Facebook, and you type in Joshua Kennedy on YouTube, and you'll get some young Vine guy who makes vines. His name is Josh Kennedy, and the other guy will be me. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's your, I mean, I, I love movies. I'm, I always say I'm an actor, writer, I, I, look, I like to say that I'm a fan more than anything. Um, so yeah, thank you for that shameless, you know, publicity, Steve. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And, and speaking of YouTube, you, you have some of your earlier movies on, and I did watch the Alpha Omega Man, your, um, oh, yes, yes. the, the Omega Man Charlton Heston tribute, which was, which was enjoyable, you know, yeah. um, and I, I have yet to, I'm going to watch probably sometime soon the um, airport tribute oh, one you've done. <laughs> 
but it's an older one. But I mean, yeah, you gotta see with the beginning. So it's like you always like to see different creators' journeys. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're sure. you're currently filming a movie that's not hammer horror at all. Cowgirls um, versus pterodactyls? Yes, that is correct. It's a western, if you didn't catch the title, uh, and um, a western meets Ray Harryhausen monster, very much like Valley of Guanji that keeps coming up when people reference it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very, I would say, almost... Uh, almost complete. I mean, it's we've shot it all, basically. And it's just taking a long time to edit. I'm taking my time with this one. And, um, yeah, hopefully it'll be out before before Christmas. Josh, just one quick spoiler. Are there any courtroom scenes? Um, let me think. Uh, no. Michaela, there you go. 100% no courtroom scenes in this movie. No courtroom scenes. But, um, <laughs> I, would, I mean, I, we still haven't picked the... Uh, we're doing My Fair Lady business. I'm directing My Fair Lady for the community. And we're also, I'm hoping, because we're hoping to squeeze in something else. And I'm trying to push for Inherit the Wind. Like I said, I've been trying to get it, have it done for a long time. Hopefully, maybe this will be the, the summer of Inherit the Wind here in Edinburgh, Texas. But we'll see. <laughs> All right. Um, if anybody else have anything else they want to say about Inherit the Wind or any? Now, you're doing the musical version of My Fair Lady and not the play Pygmalion, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Well, they do have two different titles, Michael. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's just making sure for our, for our audience. <laughs> I'm just saying. A lot of people forget said, that there's a play. Yeah, but if he was doing the play, he probably would have called it Pygmalion. I know. And then nobody would have known what he was talking about, so you would have said <laughs> what, the what? play version <laughs> Which is why she said it. He might have reached. He might have changed the name. Yeah. I'm trying to defend my daughters. <laughs> I don't know. Against your son, picking favorites much. She's the oldest. Yeah. I'm the middlest. I got a second son too. So if anything happens, dude, I got a replacement boy. He won't last long. <laughs> that it's like Sparta here, Josh. It's like Sparta. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, speaking of following, you can follow the Diecast Move Review Podcast on Facebook. Also, you can email us at diecastmovereviewpodcast at gmail.com. And please leave us a review in iTunes. You know, if you leave us a review of the star thing, more people will discover our podcast. And that way we can have more people listening to us. Because even even though we don't care if we get a ton of listeners, it's nice to know that actually somebody is listening to this podcast, not just Josh. Yes. <laughs> or, or, or myself. I'll probably go download two. So at least I'll have two numbers for this one. <laughs> I don't know if Michaela and Ben will download it. It'll be, it could be sad. <laughs> I have it on my laptop. Why would I want to download it? We need the numbers. I upload it. We, we need, need the numbers. numbers. We, need numbers. <laughs> we need those numbers, Michaela. You think Josh doesn't watch his own movies? Yeah. <laughs> you know how many times he probably watches those movies? <laughs> By the time the premiere comes around, I'm like, Jesus, do I have to sit through this crap again? <laughs> and Wait you have to pretend to be positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're, you're sending your movie up well if you're saying this crap again. <laughs> well, you, you have to admit, I'm, I'm editing it, so like I, it's, uh, you edited out the crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, after I should really count how many times, like I've already watched Cowgirls, you know, at least 
fifty times, and it's not even halfway done editing it. So. And I think they say what is it true? They say with every every time a director watches their finger, regard even if they're finished product, they always think, "Oh, I could have did this differently." You can never yeah. stop critiquing yourself. I believe in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you always got to think about it. It can get better, but it won't ever be perfect. Exactly. All right, but thank you all for listening to this episode, and we hope to hear you next week. Uh, hope you listen to us next week. Bye, everybody.